Let's pray together. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit be our teacher, and your glory be our supreme desire today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Deacon Karen asked me while we were sitting up um, on the platform whether I was going to preach on Sodom and Gomorrah, and I said, yes, I am. And uh, I said, but then when you look at the passages that I had to choose from, Isaiah talks about sin. Psalm 32 talks about sin. Zacchaeus recognized that he had sinned. So three out of the four passages, and I'm sure I could have made the fourth passage talk about sin too, if that was the one. What I'd like to do today is to look with you at Isaiah chapter 1. As we come to look at this passage, I want to remind you that these words are written to the people of God. These are people who have been in covenant relationship with God from the time of Abraham on, right up to the days of Isaiah and Micah, who were the two prophets who spoke to the people of the southern kingdom. These words, while applicable to all of Israel, are specific to the two tribes known as Judah. Isaiah and Micah minister to the people of Judah from about 750 B.C., uh, and um, uh, Isaiah goes to 686 when the, the kingdom ends, when Judah ends. Uh, Micah was a little bit of a shorter time, but if you're looking to see who spoke to the people of Judah, basically it's Isaiah and Micah. Those are the two prophets. Judah is still a fairly powerful you know, position in the world. Uzziah was the king when, when, uh, when Isaiah started his ministry. Isaiah had, uh, or, uh, Uzziah had a powerful ministry or had a powerful kingdom at that particular time. He was looked to as one who had might and power. One of the problems that Uzziah had was that he also had pride. He did something. He wanted to go into the temple. He wanted to... Uh, offer incense before the Lord, which was the only response, which, which only the priest had the responsibility to do. The king couldn't do that. And he was struck with leprosy. He was struck with leprosy and had that the rest of his life. Following Uzziah, there were both good kings and bad kings, faithful kings and evil kings. I, as Isaiah sometimes called the evangelist of all of the prophets. And if we, if we would have time to read through all 66 chapters, we would see how that works out. A lot of the passages that we will use at the Advent season will come from the book of Isaiah and also from the book of Micah because these were the two prophets who saw the need for, for Israel to turn to be saved. Isn't it interesting that the word Isaiah means that uh, means uh, salvation is the Lord. Both of these prophets will prophesy to save the people. As we look at these verses, I'm somewhat reminded of our own situation in our century and how God must look at the United States as, if, as he looked at the 8th century B.C. at Judah, the people of God. John Winthrop preached a sermon in 1630 called A Model of Christian Charity. Now, John Winthrop was uh, coming 
and they were establishing Massachusetts at that time. In a sermon, he called the people who would establish the plantation in New England to be that city on a hill that, were, that the world would look to as a beacon of God's blessings. Our pledge says that we are a nation under God. When we look at this passage, I wonder if the prophets were alive today, whether they would write something similar to the nation that claims to be a Christian nation as the people of Judah were known to be, the people of God. As we look at the scriptures, we always want to find out what we can find out about God. So there are four things that I'd like to suggest to you today from the passage in Isaiah chapter 1. If you have your Bible, and I invite you to take a look at it in your Bible. If you have the uh, pamphlet, take a look at it in the pamphlet. The first thing that I would say to you is that God would remind the people that there is sin in their midst. Notice what it says in, in Isaiah chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Isn't it interesting? He's, re he's telling this to the people of Judah. And what does he call them? He calls the rulers, the rulers of Sodom. He calls the people, the people of Gomorrah. The people of Judah, no doubt, would have been stunned by this accusation that they were anything like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah who God destroyed because of their licentiousness and disobedience to the God of the universe. And yet that's what he does to a people who are considered to be a covenant people. The people of Judah would, have been, uh, would, have, uh, would not have failed to see that they were even considered to be sinners that deserved the punishment that Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus later on in the New Testament will say, if Sodom and Gomorrah had repented, they would have been far better off than you. You see there, he's saying, listen, you're a sinner too. Unlike Isaiah, who saw the true nature of God and cried out in Isaiah 6, these people, in despair because he was a man who saw sin in his own life and knew that he could not stand before a righteous God, they felt as though God had always been with them and that he would continue to be with them no matter what. George Whitfield, by the way, I looked up uh, when, I, when I was looking this up, one of the things that was under it said that he's a Methodist. Not so. Did he work with John and Charles Wesley? Absolutely. But he was an Anglican priest till the day that he died. He was Anglican. You can either hold that against him or give that to him. So whatever you want to do. George Whitfield preached a sermon in Scotland called Method of Grace in which he said, before you can speak peace to your heart, you must be made to see, made to feel, made to weep over, made to bewail your actual transgressions against the law of God. Whitfield goes on to ask these questions. Was ever the remembrance of your sin grievous to you? Was the burden of your sin intolerable to your thoughts? Did you ever see that God's wrath might justly fall upon you on account of your actual transgressions against God? Were you ever in all your life sorry for your sins? Could you ever say, my sins are gone over my head as a burden too heavy for me to bear? Did you ever experience any such thing as this? Did ever any such thing as this pass between God and your soul? Does that sound somewhat like the prayers that we pray 
particularly in this service, as we ask God to forgive our sins? What sins might Isaiah have been thinking? Perhaps the idolatry that was personally present with the people, although they would do many things. Perhaps the pride that they felt. Perhaps the failure to care for the neighbor, or as we say in our confession of sin, I have not loved you, God, and I have not loved my neighbor as myself. Perhaps it's the gossip or the pride. You get my point. And he would have said that to them. Now, once Isaiah had dealt with the sin of the people, he then dealt with how they were, how they thought that they were worshiping God. We come down through there, and as you did, you did you follow along as they as as we read that passage. What to me is your multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and of rams and of the fat of the well-fed beast. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who required this of your trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of the convocations. I can't endure in, cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Isn't it interesting? They were doing the things that God had told them that they needed to do. They were bringing their offerings when they were supposed to bring their offerings. They were celebrating the, 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 the feast, the new moons. They were doing all of these things, and yet God denounces their rituals and rites. The question is why? Are these not the things that God did lay down for them? Well, they did what the rituals called for them to do. They did these things without their hearts looking to the grace of God. Isaiah will say later in the book, in Isaiah 29, 13, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Isn't it interesting? Their lips, they say the right things, they do the right things, but their heart isn't in it. And why do they do it? Because somebody told them that they ought to do it. I love being an Anglican. I do. I mean, I've been other things. I've, I've been things where the only, only liturgy that we had was to make sure you didn't do the same thing two weeks in a row. That's not Anglicanism. We do basically the same thing over and over and over each week. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, is God happy with our rites and our rituals when we come into his presence? Isaiah says later in uh, our... our uh, later on, Jesus will say basically the same thing. 700 years or so later, he'll say the same thing. And the, uh, and the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Believe me, I love reading the Book of Common Prayer. 
I love serving at the altar with our with our with 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 all of the Eucharistic prayers that we pray. Love it. But the question that I have to ask myself as I'm doing this, is my heart in this? The Pharisees were doing it because they were told to do it. Well, in 1662, actually back in 1549 and 1552, you and I were told to do this as Anglicans. But the reason why Cranmer asked us to do it was because his heart was right before God and he was trying to lay out for people how worship from the heart can be expressed. But if, we were just, if we're just saying things to say things, because that's the way we've always done it, that's not what God wants for us. When Father Don does the prayers today, when Father Don does the consecration of the elements today, those things ought not simply be words. Those things ought to be actions of our heart. He will say, we bring before you thanksgiving, uh, the offerings of thanksgiving and praise. Do we bring before him these things that will be offerings of thanksgiving and praise? Is that what in your mind when he says those words? That's where it ought to be. My friends, it's not just the liturgical church that does that either. It's that evangelical church that says that if you do this, you will be saved. If you raise your hand, if you pray this prayer. But my friends, if those things are done without the heart, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. When we come on Sunday morning, and we do the Eucharist, when we preach, when we read, if our heart's not in it, it does nothing. We need to be laying ourselves out before God to see how he sees us. The third thing that I would like to say to you is that God said God will accept the gift, of, well, God's gift of forgiveness of sin was something that was given to the people. We need to meet with God and let him talk to us. Do you know what we celebrate tomorrow? Halloween? Do you know what we celebrate in the church tomorrow? No, no, All Saints Day is the first. That's why we have Halloween. All Souls Day is the following day. Tomorrow we celebrate Reformation Day. We never celebrate Reformation Day. But on the 31st of October, Martin Luther walked over, supposedly, <laughs> to the church at Wittenberg, and he's tacked his 95 theses on the church door. It's a reminder of that story. The reason that he did it was that there was a ritual of the church that had taken place of the faith of the church. What Luther was asking the Roman church to do was to sit down and reason with him on the issues of forgiveness of sins and on church ritual. Luther wanted to go back to the scriptures and the early church fathers. He wrote commentaries on Romans and Galatians, both of which have the phrase, the just 
shall live by faith. You know where that phrase comes from? It comes from the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 2. The Old Testament is exactly the same as the New Testament when it comes to approaching God. The just shall live by faith. Not works. We can go over to Ephesians. He wrote that in Ephesians. Although we could read that in Romans and we can read that in Galatians as well. The people had failed to get a look, good look at the holiness of God and went about their ways and tried to please God through their own methods. That's what was happening with the Church of Rome in the 1500s. God is open to communion with all. He will not cancel anyone because they have a certain nationality or a certain group of people or a certain political party like the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Zealots, or Republican or Democrat for that matter, who completely, he, he is open to sit with anyone who will reason with him. He will spell out the needs of individuals and he will let them see the holiness of God and the peace that comes from knowing a God. Unlike the religious leaders, Jesus was willing to even sit down with the terrible tax collectors the truth is that God is rejected by many and not followed by many because we do not have a correct idea of the one who made us, forgives us, and sustains us. Our gospel today talked about a man who wanted to know who Jesus was. His name was Zacchaeus. When he met true Jesus, he recognized that he was a sinner. Now, it doesn't come out and say that, does it? He wanted to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as he passed that day, Jesus said to him, Come on down. I have a date with you at your house and you're providing dinner. And he went. Matthew's gospel shows us that Jesus was willing to reason with those who are viewed as too sinful to be considered for the possibility of salvation. Matthew 9 says, And as Jesus reclined a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collector and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus went and spoke and reasoned with those who were considered to be sinners. And if you haven't gotten the idea, that includes everybody. The problem with so many of our churches today is that they feel as though they have no need of a physician. Just as in the day of Isaiah, there is no need that they see that there is separation from God by sin and to see that it is our works or rituals, uh, and, and, they, and they try to see that our works and our rituals will save. But it's God's grace that brings salvation by believing that God is who he says he is, the one who provides life. Isn't it interesting that Isaiah means God is salvation? In the book, we learn of the Messiah, that God would send in years to come, 
that there would be a birth by a virgin and that it will be called Emmanuel. In Micah, we learn that it's going to be in, in Bethlehem, Judea, that the one who is the Messiah will come. This is the one that Zacchaeus met on the road who came to his house and ate with him, and he changed his life, just as Jesus Christ can change our lives when we place our faith and trust in him. And what happens? What happens when we come to know who God is? We're changed. We become his representatives of his word. When Isaiah saw the true nature of God in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, he laid his life before him to tell people about God, the God of Judah, and what it means. Interestingly enough, God told him that they would not listen. Because you see, they thought that they were too good for it. That they didn't need this Savior. But when Jesus, when Isaiah saw the true God, what does he cry out? I'm a man undone. I can't stand before God. I'm a man of unclean lips. And he turned himself into, God, into, into being God's servant. Isaiah, as well as Micah, tells us what God desires of his people. Micah 6.8 says, He's told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. According to Micah, this will come through the one who is born in Bethlehem in Micah 5.2. Luke says that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Justice, knowing what is right and what is wrong and treating people in a just manner. It doesn't make any difference from what country they come. It doesn't matter what, what color they are. It doesn't matter what language they, they speak. God calls us to be just with all people. To love kindness. I love that Hebrew word, chesed. It's, it's, it's translated here to love kindness. Uh, a lot of times it'll be translated loving kindness. It's the faithfulness of God. We want to be faithful to God and who he is and what he is and be faithful to being his servant and then to walk humbly before our God. Do we see who God really is? Are we like Isaiah, who can say, Lord, when I look at you, I see the glory, and it fills the temple, and I can't even stand before you. And God looks down and says, you have it right. You have it right. I'm the one that's called you to be holy. I'm the one who can give that holiness. And in our time, that holiness comes through heart faith in Jesus Christ alone. And when that happens, lives are changed. Someone who says that they've, been, they've, they've received Christ as their Savior or placed their faith in Christ as a Savior and life never changes, they continue to do the thing that they've always done, we've got to say to ourselves, is that really true? When Zacchaeus saw who the Lord really was, his life was changed. Zacchaeus calls him Lord. When we call him Lord and be what God wants us to be. Today God is asking that you will reason with him. He wants to lay out for you what is important. 
He wants us to realize that there is sin in our lives. He wants us to realize that our relationship is built on a true heart that leans toward him and not works that we do. He wants us to reason with him, to see that God is the one and in his mercy and his grace has given his son. And when we do that, then he has called us to serve him and serve others by being people who do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Amen.